are beginning a new um, sermon series today. It's called Right Relationships. It's all about wisdom that comes from the book of Proverbs. And so, as you might uh, easily surmise, we're going to be um, taking a look at God's wisdom for us in this book called Proverbs, and more importantly, what we can do with it, how we can apply it to our own lives for our lives' betterment. You know, about 3,000 years ago, there was a man, and one night he had a dream. And it was way more than just an average dream because God appeared to this man and he said to the man, he said, ask me for anything you want, anything you want, and I'll give it to you. I mean, think about that for a moment. Can you imagine what that would be like to get that question asked of you from God? I mean, if you were given the opportunity, what would you ask for? You know, some of us might get greedy, <laughs> and we might ask for all the money in the world, or a great big mansion to live in, or a fast sports car to drive around in. We might become a little more altruistic, though. I would hope so anyway, right? And we might um, ask to end world hunger, or to end homelessness, or even to ask for world peace. King Solomon was that man of whom God asked that question. And he was a young man who had succeeded his father, King David, and he was the king of all of Israel. So as you can imagine, he had a lot of weight, a lot of burden on his shoulders. And when Solomon was given the chance to ask God for anything that his heart desired, he asked God for wisdom. And this made God so pleased, so happy, that he gave Solomon his request for wisdom. And he also gave him power and wealth as well. You know, Solomon led Israel through its glory days. His wealth, people came from all over the known world and brought gold and silver and all kinds of treasures to Solomon. In fact, Solomon became so well off that he had it all. And when Jesus one time was asked to describe a picture of someone who had it all, it was Solomon that he picked. You know, when the God of the universe looks at you and says, here's a man that has it all, you know you're doing something right. But you know, despite all the power and wealth, Solomon's greatest gift, his greatest gift of all, was his wisdom. It was Solomon who wrote the book of Proverbs, which is a very unique book in the Bible. There's not another one like it. It's basically a collection of sayings, wise sayings, wisdom sayings that Solomon either wrote himself or compiled from other people. And unlike other books in the Bible, sometimes it can feel pretty random because there's no historical storyline or anything like that that we're following. But it contains an amazing amount of wisdom on a huge variety of topics. And so in this series, we're going to discover how Proverbs can help us get right in, in our marriage, help us get right in our parenting, help us get right in our friendship relationships. But today, we're going to lay the foundation for all of those other things. And so listen up, because if you don't get the message of today's sermon right, all the other good advice is going to be for nothing. I mean, you'll simply be putting good advice onto a bad foundation, like a nice 
building that's put on a bad foundation. And you know what happens when that happens, right? You get something that looks like this. It ain't good, okay? So we've got to get today's word right or we're wasting it all. The foundation that we are laying is how to be right with God. How to be right with God. How do you have a good relationship with God? Well, we're told how to do that in Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 to 12. It says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. So did you catch that? It's the fear of the Lord. It's the foundation of all wisdom. And why, you ask? It's because God is the author of all truth and all wisdom. And so the better we can get to know God, the wiser we will become. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? To fear the Lord. I think this is something that we can really easily misunderstand. So let me tell you a little personal story. Several years ago, my wife Marge and I traveled out west with a couple of friends of ours. One of our friends is an amateur photographer. And so while we were staying in the Grand Tetons National Park, he signed up for a nighttime photography lesson that happened at midnight of all times. And he was going to learn to photograph the night sky. Well, we all tagged along because we wanted to see what this was going to be like. And I have to tell you, I have never, ever, ever seen such a spectacular view of space in my entire life. There were more stars than I even imagined were up in the sky. The Milky Way that night was so clear, it was like you could reach out and touch it. And suddenly, suddenly, I was overcome with this awe, and I was just struck with the beauty and the vastness of the universe. And at the same time, I was overcome with an awe and a reverence for the God who created all of it. The God who knows the name of every star up there that he created. The God who created this tiny little earth that I was standing on, spinning in the vastness of space, and called it good. The God who created me and you and put us on this earth and knows the number of hairs on our head. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so as I stood there in awe of the bigness of space, I was reminded of how much more I should stand in awe of the bigness of the God who created it all and upholds it with a word, his word, a mere breath. It's no wonder that King David, writing in Psalm 8, said, when I look at the heavens, the word of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? 
Should we not stand in awe of the one, as Isaiah 40 says, who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, who marked out the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales? Should we not fear the one who gave us life and breath and can take it away with another? We not only should, we must fear the Lord. For the fear of the Lord is the gateway and the pathway to wisdom. Now, the fear of the Lord is completely different than being afraid of the Lord. There is a kind of frightened trembling that happens before God's holiness and his glory. But the fear of the Lord that the book of Proverbs calls us to is more than terror. Sinclair Ferguson, the Scottish theologian, defines it as the indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and awe which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he has done for us. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The fear of the Lord is the reverent awe of God as a child before their father. God is for us, not against us. And the cross of Christ is all we need to have proof of that. And so when Proverbs talks about fearing the Lord, that's what it's talking about. Now, I believe that this is the most important pursuit in life, the pursuit of our Heavenly Father. And so I want to paint in some broad brushstrokes for you for just a minute three different ways that we might look at, three different lenses, if you will, from, through which people view the world. First of all, there are people who are atheists, people who don't believe that there is a God, and so they have no use for God. They, they don't even believe there is a God. There are agnostics as well who say we can't even know if there is a God. There might be a God, but there might not be a God. And there's no way for us to know. And even if there is a God, there's no way for us to know this God personally. He's unknowable. And then there are theists, those who believe in God, like Christians. Um, and if we believe in God, then God is knowable. And we should want to get to know this God. If we're not the highest being in the universe, then we owe reverence to this being. We have accountability to this being. Now, in either of those first two op options, atheism or agnosticism, there is no higher power to answer to. So you can really do in your life whatever you want to do, whatever gives you the best experience possible here on earth, because that's all you have. There isn't anything more. There is no divine path to follow. Now, sometimes Christians will say, well, gosh, if you're atheist or agnostic, you might as well do whatever you want. You could steal, you could hate, you could kill other people because there's no accountability to God. But that really isn't a fair way of, of, of looking at agnostics or atheists because there is still um, that reality that if we do certain things, we're going to pay the consequences of those things. We might suffer for doing bad things. 
There are going to be earthly costs because of a threat to society. Unless there are certain people in history that you can think of, like an Adolf Hitler or uh, Jeffrey Epstein or even Vladimir Putin, who seem to get away with all kinds of evil for a long, long time. But even when you think about those, those three people, two out of them didn't end up so good, did they? And one of them, the jury is still out, so we don't know how it's going to end up for Putin. You see, you can be an atheist or agnostic, though, and you can still be a respectable person. You can be generous because you learn that life is better that way. That's kind of the thinking of how to make friends and influence people lifestyle. But if you are living a respectable life without God, if that's the choice you've made, I have one question for you. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? You know, it really is a legitimate question because you're taking an awfully big gamble. You're looking at this world and you're saying, this is all a product of, of chance and, and happenstance, that we're just fortunate to live on planet Earth that has a perfect climate for sustaining life. And, and yeah, we have this general moral code that we should do good, that not to destroy our planet, for example. And if you're right, okay. But what if you're not? What if you're wrong? You're taking an enormous gamble. Because if there is a God who created the world, if there is a God who is the authority in the world, then we have to take time to learn about that God. To have a relationship with that God. And to know what God is calling us to do as a response to his presence and omnipotence in our lives. I mean, we're looking at an amazingly complex world. And, and it's like we're saying that if it's made without any higher knowledge, then that takes an incredible amount of faith in just chance. And plus, science is really clear that things don't get better over time. They get worse over time. They don't naturally get better. Just go home this afternoon and Google the, the phrase, abandoned places in the world. I did it yesterday. There are certain towns in this world that people have just left. There are buildings that were almost completed and then just abandoned. And it is amazing how fast they degrade. It doesn't take time at all. So if you don't believe that God exists, if you're taking a position that is contrary to what most humans have believed and experienced throughout time, then you're standing on shaky ground. You're dismissing tons of supernatural evidence that's both historic and evidence that still happens around us today. God is still at work in the world today, even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. That's who God is. And if you don't believe that, you're dismissing the significance of the most well-documented human being who ever walked on the face of this planet, Jesus Christ, the man that we have literally changed our calendar for, the one whose resurrection is the most well-documented um, historical event in human history and whose teachings have shaped nations and generations and changed the, the trajectory of human history. So what if you're wrong?
It's a risky gamble not to fear God. And to be fair, I, we should really answer the question ourselves. I should answer the question myself. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if there is no God? Or what if God really is unknowable or unconcerned about the way I live? What if God just created this ball we call earth and then wound it up and let it go and, and went off and did something else? What if somehow, I don't know how, what if somehow I got to the end of my life and I suddenly learned right before I died that, that there really is no God, that there's just lights out and then I die and there's nothing beyond that. Obviously, I've staked my life on the truth that there is a God who created me and knows me and loves me and wants to have a relationship with me. But let me think about if I put my faith in a God that ends up not existing, how has my faith impacted me? There are lots of ways it's impacted me, and I'm sure you too. I know I'm a better husband because of my faith in God. Because I believe in a Lord who said, that as a husband, I ought to be willing to lay down my life because of the great amount of love that I have for my wife. I believe that I'm a better father to my kids because I see my kids and I know that they're a gift from God. And it isn't always easy. My kids are out of that phase now. Well, they never totally get out of that phase, amen, right, if you have some grown kids. But I'm not in that phase anymore where they're at home and I'm completely responsible for them. But Marge and I always saw our girls as a gift from God and that had been entrusted to us. And we need to pour in them and, and parent them as best we know how, even though we're going to get it wrong sometimes. I know that I'm a more generous person because of my faith, because my faith tells me I owe God the first 10%, the first fruits of, of what God has blessed me with. And I know that being generous um, has not only been a blessing to me, but it's more importantly been a blessing to God and to God's people. I know that I've been more loving, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more gentle, more good, more faithful, more self-controlled. I wouldn't give up any of those things if I got to the end of my life. And I know that there are times when, when I stand in this place with you, worshiping God, reverently worshiping God, that I've felt a closeness and an intimateness, uh, and that too has made me a better person. It's given me strength. It's, it's getting me, gotten me through difficult times. And so even if this world is all there is, I believe that my fear of God has made me a better person. Proverbs 14.2 says, those who follow the right path fear the Lord. Those who take the wrong path despise him. You see, following the Lord has led me to a better path in life than I would have ever chosen for myself. Right, church? It's true in your life too, I'm sure. So as a Christian, I'm okay if I'm wrong. But I don't think I'm wrong. That doesn't mean that fearing the Lord is a tame thing to do. It can be hard. It brings eternal security, yes, but it also brings immediate risk. 
And why, you ask? Because God's ways are different than our ways. The things that God might ask us to do might be different than the things that we really want to do, human nature-wise. Growing in holiness is going to mean that we're going to look more and more like Jesus and less and less like our sinful selves. We might have to change some friends. We might have to give up a sinful habit. We might have to change hobbies or, or what we like to do because Fear of the Lord means that God has a call on our life that has to take precedence over every single else that we might desire in our own life. Fearing the Lord means that I remain faithful to God even when it isn't easy, even when my prayers don't get answered in the way that I wanted, even when I sometimes am disappointed with God. I don't fear God because God gives me everything I want every time I want it. I fear God because he is God and I am not. And when we put ourselves in the proper perspective with God here and me here, life begins to make sense. You remember Job, right? The man in the Bible, the holy man who lost everything. One day he's on top of the world. He's got it all, family, wealth, friends, everything. And then in a flash, he loses it all, and he's angry with God. And understandably so. I can't imagine that kind of pain. I think I would be angry too. And so his friends come over, and they're no help at all. They start giving him their advice. They run their mouths, and, and they do so with human wisdom, not godly wisdom. And all they do is discourage Job. And so finally, Job had just had it up to here, and he unleashes this major defense of himself. He's been a good guy, and he thinks, I don't deserve to suffer like this. And here's what he says in Job 31, verse 35. If only someone would listen to me. Look, I will sign my name and my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser write out the charges against me. I would face the accusation proudly. I would wear it like a crown, for I would tell him exactly what I have done. I would come before him like a prince. Those are some really strong words, aren't they? Maybe you can understand how Job felt. Maybe you've felt that way yourself a time or two. But we have to remember that God understands things we don't. God sees a whole picture when we see a part of a picture. And in Job's story, that was certainly the case. God responds to Job, as you probably know, and it's a pretty severe response. So buckle up. Here's how God answers Job. Job 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. You know, God continues on, and he, he asks Job, who was it that created the oceans? Who causes the sun to rise every morning? Who makes the snow and the rain to fall? And who hung the stars in the sky? These are rhetorical questions, and the answer is not Job. The answer is God Almighty. And after two chapters of going on like this, God concludes with an incredible question. Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? 
You are God's critic. But do you have the answers? It's a real question for us today, too. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't ask questions of God, but it is a reminder to always remember that we are not God. That we fear God or we respect God because God is all-knowing and all-powerful. We are but the creation. God is the creator. We are the ones who need saving. It is God who is the Savior. We are the ones who are eternally lost, and it is God who offers eternal life as a gift that is free to us because God and Jesus Christ paid the price for it. So listen to how Job responded to this challenge from God. He says, I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. That, my friends, is a good model for us. Because there are going to be some times in our lives when we don't fear the Lord like we should. And we, too, will need to repent. We put ourselves in our proper place when we put God in God's proper place. And it's not about disparaging ourselves. It's about loving Jesus and making Jesus the Lord of our lives. If we don't fear the Lord, our life is going to be full of evil. And the Bible makes it really clear what happens to evil in the end. It's not good. There is more to life than what is pleasing only to you. And there's more to life than what just feels good. So find out what's pleasing to God, and then you'll find the life that you really want. You won't find that unless you have a healthy fear of God, because when you revere him and desire to please him above all else, everything else falls into place. You see, the safest place in the entire world is found firmly in the fear of the Lord. Because when we fear the Lord, we come to the one who holds everything, the whole world, in his hands. And when we fear the Lord, we come into the refuge of his preserving care. Proverbs 14, 27 says, Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. And that doesn't mean that we won't die, but it does mean that when we come to the end of our life, we will realize that we have not wasted our life. We have spent it in a truly valuable way, living out the calling that God has given to us. We'll know that our life has a significance that reaches so far beyond us. Don't you want that kind of life? It's available today and every day. We need to know God more and more and to put God in his rightful place and to know that God is the Lord of all things and offers us wisdom. Will you pray with me? Holy One, we are so thankful that you are God and we are not. For God, we get it wrong so many times. We go through life on our own thinking that we've got it all, that we know the answers, that we know what will make us happy. Thank you, God, for your love for us that never fails. Thank you, God, for your love which is always reaching out to us.
thank you that we can always reach out to you and grab your hand and you will pull us out of the messes that we've made for ourselves. Thank you, God, that you are wisdom. Thank you, God, that you are truth. And your word contains all truth and your word contains all wisdom. And that when we humbly submit ourselves to you, when we come to you with humility, when we come to you with repentance for the times that we've messed up, when we seek you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will answer us. You will give us your wisdom, that we can read your wisdom, that we can learn your wisdom, that we can see your wisdom being put into practice when we see the life of Jesus our Lord lived out on this earth Lord in this coming week in these coming days yes Lord for the rest of our life each and every day help us come to you in humility help us seek a little more wisdom from you that will put us in right relationship with you right relationship with those that are significant in our lives, our spouses, our children, our parents, our friends. Help us, Lord, to live a life that is pleasing to you based on your wisdom and truth so that our lives fall into place the way you created them to be and that we become a blessing to you and to others. We pray for this more than anything else. In Jesus' name,